0: Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Hey, Daryl. How you doing, folks? It's another week here at the
1: Inside. Inside Sales Show. You know what I love? I love saying that. I haven't said it in a long time. I've almost gotten away from that. Gavin Harris, he's a big fan of the show. He's based out of the UK. He is an incredible salesperson. He made a post the other day, so I'm just sharing with you. This is completely a vanity conversation. He was making a post about the show, and he had listened to it on his drive-in, talking about how much value he gets from the inside, inside sales show. But he wrote it. He said, inside dot, 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 you know, the ellipse inside sales. And then in brackets, and he goes, for those who know, you just know. Just made me giggle. It made me giggle. You guys make me giggle sometimes. Thank you so much for that. You you put a smile on my face and you make me get up and wanna come and talk to you every single week. How's your week going? What I've been doing a lot of lately, I've been uh, on a number of shows I've been on. I have uh, shared that on a tool like LinkedIn, you can send a voice message or you can send a personal video. People are like, really? I didn't know that. Or you get the other crowd. They're like, oh man, voice messages. They're fire, man. They're just a bomb. Like they work so well. And what's really funny about that is that later on, I'll talk to them about the challenges, you know, the problem, the problem around voicemails. You know, no one, no one listens to them. No one answers them. I never got a call back. Voicemails suck. They're stupid. And I hear you. And then I like saying to them, so let me see if I get this straight. Voicemails are stupid. But when you leave a voice message on LinkedIn, it's dope. It's incredible. It's amazing. I'm like, you realize, you do realize that you're leaving a voicemail on LinkedIn. And it works just because it's a different channel. It's a different form of delivery. What LinkedIn did was they kind of fell in love with the problem right? They said, oh, there's a problem. No one listens to voicemail. And they said, well, let's just embrace the problem and just reinvent it. What I've been telling people to do is I've been saying, hey, connect with me. And then you can practice on me. Send me your voicemail or send me your video message and I'll give you feedback. And it's been crazy. I've been getting lots of messages and I've been giving lots of feedback. I usually give a video response back because I want them to know that it's me. It's not somebody else. And, and uh, it's not an assistant. And it's great. I'll make this offer to you. If you're having a problem connecting with your target audience and you've not tried LinkedIn voice messages or LinkedIn video, then you can only use it if you have a connection with them. So part of your cadence, of course, should be to establish that initial connection and don't do the old, hi, I'm Daryl. and VanillaSoft is a sales engagement vendor. And we have feature A, feature B, feature C, and we're cool, because that has no value to your recipient. They don't know, you know what's it matter to them. So you always wanna make it about them not about you, it's a connection request. It's a professional connection request. If you play your game right, you will have time in the future to actually make that pitch. Do not make the pitch in the opening in mail or connection request, just just, just don't do it. Step away from the keyboard if you feel the urge. Connect with me, because that's how you can send messages and, and voicemails, and then send me your pitch and I'll give you feedback. If you haven't kept it already, do it. If we are already connected, then send it anyway. That's my invite to you. I'm now going to be inundated with more and I love it. So that's what you do. And it's kind of cool, right? Because even when I got here to VanillaSoft, the whole challenge we had was we were like literally the longest standing vendor in the industry when it came to sales engagement, but we had the least awareness. So my problem was I had a really good thing. I had a really good thing and a kick-ass solution, but I had a problem that no one knew who we were. So what did I do is I, I I decided, well, let's work the problem. Let's fall in love with the problem. Let's really just say, how can I embrace the problem and turn lemons into lemonade? And so part of that was a, was a, a content strategy. It was a messaging strategy. It was, let's get in front of you folks. Let's, let's connect with you folks on the real issues. And I think we've had some success there. And we're recognized industry-wide for our content. And candidly, that's because of you guys and the feedback you've given us. So for that, I think... Thank you, and, and as I always have to say, if you have more content ideas, please let me know. I guess the question comes down to, why did I share this Do with you? Why did I share the whole idea about how LinkedIn worked the problem? Why did I share with you about how we at VanillaSoft worked the problem and how we fell in love with the problem? Bad thing, it was an opportunity. It was a chance to actually turn lemons into lemonade. And life is grand. You I can, Your activity metrics are through the roof and your contributions are through the roof and you're actually able to eat that week because you get paid. Life is good. Today's discussion is around how to fall in love with the problem. You know who I first heard it from who inspired me to say, hey, this is what we need to talk about today? I'll give you a hint. He is a repeat guest here on the show. You guys know him. David Primer, Cerebral Selling, CerebralSelling.com, founder, chief sales scientist. Don't you love that scientist? He's not just a sales, you know, he's not a kick-ass sales Rep, sales trainer, sales coach, scientist screams data, screams analysis, screams real, tangible, provable outcomes in a tactics, repeatable. That's what a scientist is. You can check him out online. He has got his new best selling book out now. It came out April 7th. Sell the way you buy. Go to Amazon, check it out. I, I, seriously, this thing was a bestseller on the pre orders alone. So, David, welcome to the show, my friend.
2: Oh my gosh! I, you know, I, maybe you don't even need me. I would just be happy to sit here and listen to you go for another half hour. I'm oh. I'm super enjoying it. But thanks for having me back. I,
1: I am thrilled, it. and you did. You inspired me with the whole idea of let's and fall. Let's fall in love with the problem. That was just such a different phrase and a different way of looking at things but knowing you there's data behind i want to hear all about let in love with the problem what does that mean what was the inspiration for you to come up with that expression uh what's the data why does it matter to the audience where do you want to start give me the background story Oh my goodness.
2: Well, you know, as salespeople, we're always struggling to communicate the value of our products and solutions to our customers. And one of the biggest problems, if we're talking about falling in love with a problem, there has been so many solutions flooding the market in recent years in every single category. And so almost as a defense mechanism, as buyers, we have to kind of like shut it down, right? Like we become very desensitized to pitches. And especially those pitches that are product and feature and solution centric, we, we automatically please shut down. The example I always give for the, for those of you, maybe, you know, maybe not everyone has kids out there. I have three kids. When my kids come to me and they're about to hit me up for something, right? Like I lift to the mall or I want to download an app, or I want like a sugary snack or something. I can tell like immediately, right? Just by the way they approach me. They say like, oh, dad. I'm like, okay, the answer is no, right? I become immediate. <laughs> and then, then I say, You know, what's your question? So I become very immediately resistant to being pitched. And with all of the solutions out there on the market, if we start calling our customers and start talking about, you know, feature A, feature B, what's new in 3.0, they immediately become desensitized. So this idea of like, how do we communicate what it is that we do without talking about our products and solutions naturally leads to this idea of falling in love with the problem. And that's where it starts because people are attuned to be responsive to pains and challenges and problems more so than they are to features and functions that's
1: where it started so the real problem to set the stage here is that the the way we're delivering that initial conversation which is usually like like you said a feature dump this is what we do it's killing our success rate is that a fair statement but if we change the script we flip the script so to speak using a a cliche about not making it about us but making it about them i'm going to guess that makes a difference that's is that the problem that we're facing often it is.
2: And, and and this is not like a new thing, you know, uh, marketers, advertisers who advertise everything from credit cards to mortgages to cars know this already. But for whatever reason, in kind of the B2B technology space, we, you know, in the business space in general, um, you know, we tend to kind of fall back on old habits, which is, let me tell you what's new in 3.0, and let me tell you something you don't know about us, about how we were in the Gartner Magic Quadrant and, you know, we're made of, you know, uh, all natural ingredients and recycled aluminum, all these kinds of things. So, yeah, like old habits die hard, especially in B2B sales. And so this is a transition that we need to make in our industry, just like they've done it in the consumer world.
1: And part of the problem, I would suspect, is because, you know, we we are most comfortable as individuals with what we know, which is often about us or our employer or our product, right? It's what we know. So I wanna lead with that because it's almost a crutch. I'm probably least comfortable with you as as a stranger and your role and your company and your situation. So I I try to avoid that. Is that a reasonable uh, truth?
2: It is. Well, when you think about how we actually onboard people into our companies, you know, they, they join the company and we give them the first call deck. We give them like the slides. Here's the features and functions and products. And we when we release the new versions of our solutions, what do we do? We go to product marketing. God bless product marketing. And we say, you know, hey, what what should we be telling our customers? And again, it's all about here's the, all the amazing things that you can do now that you didn't know you could do before. So it's partially kind of you know inherent to our onboarding and execution process. One of the other big challenges, which I don't know if we're going to have time to get into in, in thoroughly today, is this concept I often talk about called experience asymmetry. So, if you want to take a look, I wrote an article in Harvard Business about this uh, last April. This idea that, especially younger sellers, right, when you're new to the industry, the thing that's going on in your mind is you're afraid. You're actually not sure if you're going to be able to add value to this other person because of your lack of experience compared to them in their role, right? You've probably never done their job before. And so we tend to rely on features and functions almost as a crutch to get us through the conversation, which obviously makes the problem even worse.
1: All right. So I'm gonna guess, based, I don't, based on my experience, and I hear this all the time, um, from smart people like you and other industry influencers, best-selling authors and runway models, that the, um, <laughs> the hardest part of the message, you know where you want, uh, that that we struggle with, it's kind of like they've answered the phone and they say you've got what seven to twelve seconds. Pick your stat. You don't have long. How do you message then? To your point, you're talking about change your approach. How do I message so that I actually convey impact? I grab their attention. Is is that possible even? Let me ask you that. Or are we, are we so cynical now that perhaps that's something we could do in days of yore, but now we're just like, now we're just conditioned?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple things. When it comes to messaging, this idea of leading with feelings rather than features, because if the goal is to fall in love with a problem, well, the problem certainly has functional technical elements to the problem. You know, there's an efficiency issue or there's a conversion issue and our solution can help with that, but oftentimes, and to the extent that you can start by leading with that pain or enemy, I often refer to as this as the enemy. And I talk about this in the book as well. Who is the enemy? Like who is the enemy of your product? Who is the enemy of your customer? So really thinking deeply about what that, that enemy, that feeling, that problem, that challenge is, and leading with that you're not going to start with a whole big narrative, especially if you're cold calling, if you're doing kind of, you know, cold outreach Where the person is trying to figure out is exactly what you said, Daryl. In the first 10 seconds, five seconds, two seconds, should I continue listening to this person? I almost want to hear a little bit about that problem in that first initial part of the conversation so I can decide whether I'm going to be interested in listening more. And so invoking the enemy is a great place to start. I'm happy to share some tactics around that if helpful.
1: I do. I do want to hear talk about the tactics. In fact, what I am going to do is I am going to tease everybody and say we're going to go for a commercial break. And when we come back, I am going to put them on the spot and say, "What are some tactics that you can apply?" But I do want to make one comment, though, which is I am in love with the picking an enemy of your target. I try to tell it to people all the time. You know, I use the example. You are clearly you are way better at messaging than I am. I use the example of who's your prospect's competitor. All right, but their competitor is their enemy. And let me give you context. If someone calls me and says, Outreach just did this and got that. And I thought you might be interested. If that's on a voicemail or even an email, damn them. I can do better than that. I want to know what they know and I want to exceed it. That's how I react. I'm, I'm really, you know, and I'm shallow. I'm sorry. But you know what? I'm also probably <laughs> not unlike the vast majority of the people out there. They are truly enemies that's how you have to treat them as now no one will respect me anymore but that's okay when we come back we're going to talk about some real life tactics and david is going to put it all out there and he's going to tell you what you need to know don't go anywhere we'll be back soon
3: crm was designed for managing relationships sales engagement is designed for starting them current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50 percent of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them. And they're only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is an engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing-qualified leads into sales-qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more. By ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that's optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com Okay,
1: kids. Commercial? Was it good? Was it bad? Do I need to update it? Let me know. Send me feedback. David, give me content, give me give me tactics. Give me how-tos. What's the way to do this? Teach me, oh wise one, who is widely recognized as a thought leader in the area of sales and leadership and has been published in Harvard Business, MIT, Sloan Management Review, as well as Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., the list goes on. Give it to me straight, lad. Make
2: you make it sound so good when you say it. I appreciate that, my man. Tactics. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned before the break how we, we like to invoke sometimes competitors. I actually feel, and, and this is, you know, I'm science and data. If you were to go into your CRM, whatever CRM that you use, look at the number of deals that you've lost. And hopefully if you're doing good CRM hygiene, when you lose those deals, you're keeping track of the reason did we lose it to a competitor? Did we lose it, do, lose it to like dead, no decision Did the customer ghost on us. You know, I was worked at Salesforce for five years. I have millions of dollars of dead lost opportunities that tell me that the amount of money and deals that we're losing to dead no decision far outweighs the kind of deals that we're losing to a competitor. So if you want to use the competitor's name to create some intrigue, that's great. The enemies that I like to focus on are all about the problem. For example, fear, risk, old outdated process, wasting time, money, resources, these kinds of things. What I would implore you to do is find out what is your customer's enemy? Like what is the big enemy they're looking to solve? For example, lack of time, resources. If you're selling security software, is there like a risk of a breach? Is there like a ransomware issue? Does your software provide visibility into their business that they don't have today? These are all really, really good enemies. And one of the best ways, if you want like the simplest, simplest tactic to encapsulate this enemy approach, all you have to do is use the words love and hate in a sentence to describe your product. And I'll give you an example. My third startup was a company called Ripple. We were actually acquired by Salesforce. That's actually how I ended up spending five years at Salesforce. But we were a social performance management platform. And what the heck does that mean? We provided employees at work, especially millennial employees with lots of feedback, coaching and recognition about how they were doing. But that's not an enemy. That's like a feature function. That's what we do. And if I called people and said, "Hey, we provide your employees with feedback coaching and recognition," they may have said, "All right," like they would have smiled and said, "That's nice," right? And then just kept doing what they were doing. The idea is, what's the enemy? When we asked our customers, we said, "Like, how do you get feedback coaching and recognition today?" They said, "Well, you know, we have this process. It's called the annual performance review." And in all of our research, we found that 80% of people use the word hate to describe performance reviews. So what did we do? We started leading with this message of, well, what do we do at our company? Well, we realized that people love feedback, but they hate performance reviews. And so we use love and hate in a sentence where we talk about kind of like that desired future state, which is the love. And the hate is the thing that they don't love. Like that's the pain. Another example I often give, one of my, my favorite companies, this was a company called Trunk Club based in Chicago. For those of you maybe unfamiliar with Trunk Club. What do they do? It was a service, right? It was a service initially for men. What you would do is you would go into their solution. You would put in all of your physical dimensions, favorite colors, the clothes you'd like to wear. And every month, someone would pick out a virtual stylist, an actual person would pick out clothes, put them in a box, ship them to you, right to your front door, whatever you like you keep, whatever you don't like you ship back. They would have led with this message of, oh, it's clothing in a box that we send to you every month. People would have smiled and said, ah, that's nice. And then they would have kept doing what they're doing. So what do they do? They pick the enemy. And I'm Daryl, I need your help on this one. I know if you're familiar with Trunk Club at all, but complete this sentence. Men love to dress well, but they hate to.
1: Spend money. Pick clothes. (laughs) Go go shopping.
2: (laughs) Go shopping. Yeah, all of those things. That's actually what they led with. They said men love to dress well and they hate to shop. If you're a man and you love to dress well and you hate to shop, you're going to lean in and say. Tell me more. Tell me more
1: and that's the objective right what if i flip that around because you you did the love hate what if i did hate love does it matter like the vanilla soft often when i talk to say a head of sales i'll say sales executives hate that their reps cherry pick leads but they love when they follow every single one because it triples their pipeline i reversed it i think
2: that's equally good the key is now i don't want to get super no no i'm asking you you you. yeah
1: yeah no i i want you to that's why you're here
2: the key is whatever you say has to produce an emotional reaction because it's the emotional reaction. When we think about falling in love with a problem, does one thing to your customer It invokes a feeling. And the feeling is what's going to cause them to act and lean in and say, tell me more, if there's no feeling, then there's no action. And so when you use the words love and hate in a sentence, those are great because those are like inflammatory, passionate words. So whether you say love, I would love this and they hate that or hate this and they love this, it's all good. And in fact. You know if you watch infomercials but infomercials for products whether it's you know sharp knives or a fancy blender they always start with the problem has this happened to you right like you're trying to cut a tomato with like this dull knife and it like it explodes and you're wearing like a white suit for some reason and they show you like here's the (laughs) here's the thing that you hate and then they move into love so that's okay the problem and again i'm going to tease this out i do have a video on my youtube channel about this It's actually the longest video I have. Most of the videos on my YouTube channel are two, three minutes. This is a six minute video filmed in beautiful Juneau, Alaska. So if you want like just some nice scenery, check it out. The idea is if you ask your customer a question that does not produce an emotional response, right, then all of the subsequent questions and messages that you hit them with after that will be kind of colored with this confusion. But if you hit them with like an emotionally charged statement first, that emotion tends to carry through the rest of the conversation. So love, hate, hate, love, all good. And you can even use data to draw out the the kind of the the contrast the emotional response to but the key is and I'm happy to talk, we have a few minutes, I'm happy to talk about that. But the key is leading with emotion to produce that quick, rapid response. And again, for all of you listening out there, the objective is not to communicate the sum total of everything that your product or solution does no, not, in that no, no, opening dessert. statement.
1: Yeah. You know, I, it's a teaser. I, it's a teaser. So it's like wooing your significant other. You don't get married on the first date. You take your time. You build it up. Okay. And what I liked about you said, because I said I reversed it. I said hate, love. But what I'm, what I'm really hearing you say, because you said you got to evoke an emotional response. If I end on hate, I am going to get a very visceral response. As opposed to start on hate and end on love, they may be intrigued, but it's not going to be as as pronounced or profound. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I do want data. Give me data, man. Give me data. Make me smart.
2: Here's like another quick tip to invoke that emotional response and fall in love with the problem. People have a hard time digesting abstract statistics. So I'll give you an example. If I were to tell you that people love feedback, but they hate performance reviews, like I get that. And if you hate performance reviews, you're going to be trenched in the message and lean in and say, tell me more. Just as a kind of a side note, the beauty of this tactic Is that if you don't want more feedback, if you are a man and you love to dress well and you love to shop, then our product and service is not for you. And you're going to back off and you are not going to, if I can say this, waste my time as a seller, right? And we all know those customers that are sitting in your pipeline that you're forecasting to close. We're holding out hope even though they didn't call us back. You don't want that. You want to push the bad fit customers out. The key is, as you are using these statements, you can use all sorts of tactics to promote that emotional response. You can use love-hate. You can even do things like asking questions. For example, one of the epiphanies I had, and this is one of the catalysts why I kind of wrote the book, is that I found that a lot of the sales tactics that my teams were using just wouldn't work on me. They weren't working on me. You know, When people were trying to prospect into me, they just weren't working. And so I kind of had this epiphany that, yeah, maybe I'm not selling the way I buy. And so this idea of like thinking about the pathways by which we make our decisions and kind of operating on those picking an enemy is one of those really, really powerful tactics. So one of the things that I do in my communications is I ask a lot of questions. For example, on my website, if you go to cerebral selling, what does the initial copy say? It says, ever wonder why you don't like talking to salespeople? That is another way using questions. To invoke the enemy because the beauty of questions is when you ask someone a question even if it's on copy right like you are sending them an email it's on linkedin you're leaving them a voicemail to your point daryl when you read a question the way it works is it needs to fill in the answer and if it fills in the answer with an enemy then you've succeeded as well i'll give you another point as far as the data goes right so you know if we were to say uh, people love feedback but they hate performance reviews all right that's good it's emotional if I were to use data to draw that out and say, you know, people love feedback, but 80% of millennials use the word hate to describe performance reviews, right? Now I'm invoking a little bit more of that contrast because I'm using data to draw out that feeling and really crystallize for you how big this problem is. You know, hopefully you find it like a mind blowing statistic. Oftentimes, when we use data, right, to try to be compelling, we use things like percentages or abstract numbers. And I'll give you an example let's say by implementing your solution, it can help your customer save 5% of their time every month. And you can say, hey, look, you know, at uh, company ABC, one of the things that, you know, we, p- people love this, they hate this, and we can help save 5% of your time every month. Well, 5% is for a lot of people, that's like a very abstract number, right? Like, well, what is, I got to calculate 5%. If I can change 5% to a, a hard number, right? So. With our solution, you can save 20 hours a month, right? That is a lot more, com- so the data and the research and the science shows, that's a lot, lot more compelling. Picture 20 hours. I can't picture 5%, right? So the extent that you can interesting whole numbers, it's actually a principle, and I, we don't have to kind of get all the, the science, but it's a principle known as denominator neglect. The example I often give is if I gave you the choice of dipping your hand into like a, like a jar that you couldn't see, but it had... 10 marbles in it and one of those marbles was red nine of them were white and i told you if you pulled out the red marble you get to win a car and i said okay that's bucket a bucket b is there's 100 marbles in there eight of them are red 92 are white which one would you rather dip your hand into and it's funny because on one hand you think to yourself well i would want to dip into a right because it's higher probability of success but 30 to 40 percent of people say b even though it's statistically less likely that you're going to win. And why? Because we focus on those eight red marbles instead of the one and the other one, right? We just the fact that it's eight out of 100 or one out of 10, that kind of drifts by the wayside. So that's a little bit of the science behind it. But the take home message here is when you're using data to create that contrast and the emotional response and draw out the the magnitude of the problem, think about using those nice whole numbers that people can easily wrap their head around.
1: So let's recap, you are going to now kids go fall in love with your problem, your opening line, how do you hook them? You want to lead with emotion rather than features. You want to make it about them, not about you. You want to pick an enemy. It could be a competitor or more importantly, it could be like fear, risk, waste, like time or money or resources. You may want to use the words like love and hate, but you're trying to evoke an emotional response. An example would be people love feedback, but they hate performance reviews. Um, you want to ask questions possibly. Ever wonder why you don't fall in love with the salespeople? You want to use data. But you want data to be real and tangible, 5% versus 20 hours. I with 20 hours denominator neglect that is why you want to fall in love with the problem you do that and you're going to have fantastic success with your prospecting and you my friend will hit quota and go to president's club and then david will come knocking and say i want my my cut of the action please you can reach <laughs> him at cerebral selling he's best found on linkedin or twitter or every other place you can see him speaking everywhere he does an incredible training coaching program David, thank you so much for being on the show, folks. We are out of time. This, kids, has been another episode of Inside Inside Sales. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye.
0: You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside Inside Sales, hosted by Daryl Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by Vanilla Soft.